Welcome to Geek Fights. Uh, I'm Mike Ortiz, and uh, you are listening to uh, a very different kind of episode. This is an episode that I've, I've mentioned in the past uh, that I was going to be doing as part of our Superman uh, week and uh, our six months of Superman. Uh, and I'm going to be taking a look at uh, the many origins of Superman. This is not uh, no brackets, no discussion, just me uh, kind of talking about the changing, developing origin of Superman. Um, I first got the idea for doing this uh, several years back when uh, Jeff John's Secret Origin book was collected in hardcover. And I thought about going and reading that and reading Birthright and Man of Steel, the two previous kind of reboots and comparing and contrasting them. Uh, and I thought, hey, you know, maybe I could do that as a podcast. This was when Zod Complex uh, was, was going and, and Geek Fights was, was going at the same time. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, DC announced their reboot. And I thought, oh, well, I can do all four of them. And maybe uh, the, the New 52 reboot, I could, I could do all four and then maybe even go back, Action 500, look at the first uh, Superman uh, and as I did more research, I realized there's a lot of different retellings of Superman's origin, both in the comics and in other media. Uh, I'm going to focus primarily on the comics, but uh, Superman really from the start has been a, a multimedia character. So uh, the newspaper strips, the TV show, the uh, the movies, all of that stuff has, has taken from the comics and given back to the comics. There's been kind of a constant interplay uh, between Superman and in comics and other media, but I'm mostly going to focus on the comics for this. Maybe I'd do another episode uh, focusing on the movies, especially after Man of Steel, after I've seen it. Uh, at this point, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but Man of Steel is another origin story uh, in many ways. And one of the first criticisms that, that came out was, do we need another origin? Do we need to see this again? Uh, even though the last time there's a Superman origin on film, it was uh, 35 years ago. Um, so really half of Superman's lifetime ago is the last time there's been an origin on screen, but there's been an origin so many times and it's been told very many times and most people have heard it. Although there's always new people who haven't, uh, you know, there, that's always a complaint. Do we, do we really need it? And, and I guess that's one of the questions is why do you keep retelling this story? Uh, part of it I think is, is, is the story itself compelling, but, uh, does it, how do they change over time, and how do those how do those communicate those changes communicate things uh, to the audience? So uh, I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning, and take a look at Superman's origin, and uh, and and see how it's evolved and how it's changed, and maybe try and kind of ask why some of these changes happen. Some some answers we know. There'll be some speculation, uh, but really, it's a it's been told many times. It's a very very uh, iconic uh, origin story. And uh, really, it all begins right back with Action Comics number one. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Now, uh, Action Comics number one was cover dated June 1938. Uh, as people have pointed out, uh, the actual on-sale date uh, has been recently kind of celebrated. I think it's April 18th or something like that, 14th. Um, but there's really no specific date that, that is uh, universally acknowledged. I've heard it as late as May. 
Uh, and the distribution system back then, maybe uh, they didn't all come out same uh, time uh, in, in various regions. But we do know the cover date. Action Comics number one, uh, June 1938, uh, the very first appearance of Superman. I'm not going to get into uh, the the actual how Superman was created, uh, Not at least not very much. Uh, that story's been told. It could be a podcast uh, all its own. Uh, you can find that out in books like uh, Men of Tomorrow. Uh, by uh, Gerard Jones, Superman, the Unauthorized Biography, by Glenn Weldon, uh, Superman, the High-Flying History of America's Most Enduring Hero, by Larry Ty, uh, and various others. And and they all do a better job than I can, but uh, just the, the general story is they Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster had developed this character uh, of Superman, and they had tried to sell it to a variety of uh, of different publishers. Uh, they wanted primarily for it to be a comic book strip. Comic books were, were kind of a, a ghetto at that point. Originally, comic books were just reprints of newspaper strips. Then eventually, uh, to have more material to publish and cheap material to publish, they started publishing uh, the uh, strips that got rejected by uh by comics or the by the comic strip publishers and syndicates, and then eventually just started creating stuff to, specifically for the comics. Uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster had done a, a lot of work for uh, what is now DC Comics. At that time, it was National Comics, um, and but they had, and even pitched Superman to them, um, but uh, they wanted a, a a better deal. And eventually, they didn't find anything better, and uh, National had this new comic. Action Comics starting up. It was uh, they they had already launched Detective Comics, which were comics built around a theme of detectives. Uh, this would be a comic book built around uh, action, and they needed uh, thirteen pages for uh, for its first issue. And uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster reworked their submission uh, into uh, a comic book format, and uh, and they even got the cover. And Superman was introduced. Uh, Initially, with little fanfare, but he was a huge hit right out of the gate. If you actually look at the comic, I don't have the real comic. I have the giant-sized edition. This has been reprinted uh, many, many times. There's a Millennium Edition. I've got the oversized Treasury Edition. Um, it uh, has been like in the Action Comics archives, Superman in the 40s, Superman Chronicles. Um, there's just recently Superman uh, Golden Age Omnibus. Uh, yeah, this has been reprinted many, many times, many of the different secret origins, uh, stories, and it is, uh, the origin itself is one page long. Um, supposedly, uh, the, the editor of the book, um, suggested that Siegel and Schuster whip up something to explain, uh, where Superman got all these powers from. And if you look at the art, you can see it's a little bit different. Uh, there's not as much shading, uh, going on in line work because this was originally intended for a newspaper strip, uh, but the 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 origin was tacked on, kind of at the end, uh, and it's actually very simple. Uh, the first panel just shows Krypton crumbling. At this time, it's not called Krypton; it's just referred to as a distant planet that was destroyed by old age. Uh, and in, a scientist places infant son within a hastily devised spaceship, launching it towards Earth. Uh, the next panel is just a spaceship with uh, car headlights hitting it. Uh, when the vehicle landed and on Earth, a passing motorist discovered the sleeping babe within, turned the child over to an orphanage. 
Next panel is a little baby holding a chair over his head in front of a surprised doctor and a nurse. Attendants unaware the child's physical structure was millions of years advanced of their own were astounded at his feats of strength. When maturity was reached, he discovered he could easily, and then there's uh, a man in just a blue uh, business suit, uh, leap one-eighth of a mile, hurdled 20-story building. The next one, he's holding an iron girder over his head, raised tremendous weights, and then the last one, he's uh, racing against a train, uh, run faster than an express train, and that nothing less than a bursting shell could penetrate his skin. Early Clark decided he must turn his titanic strength into channels that would benefit mankind, and so was created Superman. And the first time you see him inside the comic, uh, in costume, champion of the oppressed, the physical marvel who has sworn to devote his existence to helping those in need. And then there's a couple panels where a scientific explanation of Clark Kent's amazing strength, where basically they explain that ants can lift uh, things much larger and heavier than them, and grasshoppers uh, can leap what a man would be several city blocks. Uh, basically just saying Superman's highly evolved and advanced. There's no yellow sun. There's no earth light or gravity. It's just he's he is an extraterrestrial. And uh, after that, it goes right into the story. Superman's uh, racing to the governor's mansion to prevent someone from being wrongly executed. Um and, uh, and that's it. Then, you know, we have the rest of the story that's basically Superman's very first adventure. So Superman's origin is really an afterthought here. It's just one page uh, pasted on just to give the readers an idea because this book was not about Superman. This was action comics. Uh, it was not going to focus on a character. It was focusing on the action, and they jump right into it. And then there's other, uh, several other stories in here um, in this original action comics number one. Uh, Superman only appears once. Um, I think he only appears once. Let me just check this. And, uh, and he would, he would continue to appear in the book. All the, all comics are really anthologies at that time. Uh, but very quickly, Superman, uh, clearly became the, uh, the most successful character in the book, the most successful comic book character. And, uh, and he would very quickly move into other media. Now, uh, I know I, I am primarily talking about comic books here, but uh, we do have to take a quick look at uh, Superman in uh, the newspaper strip that uh, resulted from uh, from his huge success as a comic book. Uh, Siegel and Schuster kind of got what they wanted in January of 1939. Um, uh, this, this strip debuted, and it debuts with uh, a, a very uh, extensive origin of Superman. Um, we get Krypton mentioned for the first time. We get the name Jor-El mentioned. Uh, we get uh, this image of Krypton as a, a kind of Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers type uh, 30s sci-fi planet. And again, the, the people on Krypton have superpowers. They, uh, they are just advanced human beings. It's, uh, it's very kind of Nietzsche. And they have great strength. They can jump uh, very far. Um, again, Superman doesn't fly at this point. He's, uh, he's really just uh just jumping so it's a very uh very good sci-fi origin story about the destruction of the planet the ship is launched uh, again they show him being found by just a passing motorist and and turned over to an orphanage and then a quick explanation uh of of his powers and abilities and uh it's back to uh to the action um if you look at this you can see you know that there's there's much more detail in the artwork it's it's actually uh 
very, very well drawn, uh, better, better and, and more kind of polished and professional than the Action Comics number one uh, artwork from from just a year earlier, although that had been floating around and circulated a lot. So it's kind of clear that this is really where they uh, initially wanted Superman to be, although he uh, he certainly uh, continued to be a hit in the comics. Uh, you can actually pick those dailies up. Um, I know uh, Kitchen Sink did some reprints of them. I believe they've been reprinted again, maybe by IDW. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the the uh, the new creator, um, but uh, check them out. They're actually uh, some interesting stuff. And one of the reasons that I did mention that is because also in 1939, uh, you get Superman number one. Uh, again, this has been reprinted many times. I've got the oversized treasury edition of this. Um, the uh, Superman Chronicles, great comic book heroes. Um, and, and this actually does collect the first uh, several first you know appearances. Throughout, this is a reprint primarily. Uh, Superman's appearances in Action Comics. So all of those things that kind of show you the earlier stuff. But one of the things that is not reprinted is uh, the origin. Uh, and here we, we have yet another retelling of the origin expanded to two pages this time. Uh, what's interesting here is, again, we have uh, just one panel focused on Krypton. And here it is mentioned uh, as it was in the comic book strip. But all the stuff from the strip is really left out here, which I think is kind of an interesting choice. I don't know if they figure... Uh, people would uh, could go back and read the other uh, newspaper stuff, or maybe it was because it doesn't focus on Superman himself. And and here we have a book titled Superman. Everything in it is Superman. Uh, this is the first time a single character got uh, an entire book all to himself. And so we start off, and we've got Krypton exploding. Uh, it's found by an elderly couple, the Kents, who uh, who bring him to. Uh, the orphanage, just as they had before, except this time it is it is a couple. Pri previously, it was just a passing motorist. Uh, now it's identified as the Kents, as Clark's parents. Uh, they actually want to adopt him, which the orphanage is very, very willing to do because uh, he's so strong, he's smashing things up. Uh, this is the first time we get an indication that it's his parents that uh, that really gave him the kind of moral code and made him decide to use his abilities for good. Uh, so really in just those two pages, um, you, you get a lot more development of, of the Superman character. I mean, again, it talks about him leaping an eighth of a mile, lifting things. This time it's a car still racing a train. Uh, and, uh, we've got a, a classic scene where a doctor's trying to give him an injection, uh, and the sixth hypodermic needle, uh, breaks on his skin and, uh, Clark just says, try again, Doc, which is really kind of cruel. Maybe this is the beginning of Super Dickery. Uh, this is the first time you get uh, that his parents had died, and that's what kind of uh, had him uh, devote his life to to becoming a hero. Uh, you get the shot of Superman at their grave, or Clark at their grave. So really early on, we've got uh, a lot of, of the stuff established, but in really, really broad strokes. I mean, we get Krypton uh, in the comic strip, but not very much in the comic book. We get hints of, uh, of the early life, and, uh, and that pretty much is it. And once again, we're back to the main story of uh, Superman in the present time doing, uh, doing his wonderful super deeds. Uh, here, once again, uh, we have to kind of jump outside of the comic book medium uh, to uh, Superman's first 
novel, uh, The Adventures of Superman uh, by George Lowther. Uh, you get a lot of detail on Krypton again. Um, but the kind of important thing here was uh, this really dealt a lot with Superboy or Superman when he was young and in Smallville, which is something that Siegel and Schuster had not really focused much on. Uh, they expanded Krypton and you get a few panels of, uh, of Super or of young Clark. But uh, George uh, Lowther actually gives quite a bit of, of what it would be like to be this superpowered youth growing up in, in a, a tiny uh, American uh, farm down. And Siegel uh, was intrigued by this idea. And uh, he initially pitched uh, an idea uh, for Superboy, which uh, was uh, rejected by DC um, initially. And the, although DC wound up uh, doing a Superboy story, uh, while uh, Jerry Siegel uh, was off fighting during World War II, which uh, kind of a crappy thing to do. Uh, and that comic would be uh, More Fun Comics number 101. Um, this has been reprinted. Uh, it's re reprinted in the Millennium Edition and also in an Adventures of Superboy trade paperback from 2010. I'm reading the Millennium Edition. And like the other Superman uh, origins, uh, it starts off uh, on Krypton, a, a classic sci-fi Krypton, a little bit different than the than the one that we would eventually come to know. People wear strange headgear here, but it's very much a Buck Rogers sort of story. Uh, he This has got Jor-El pleading to the Science Council, putting the child in the ship, shooting it off into space. Um, it's found by a motorist, uh, still, to, but this time it's actually not the Kents, strangely enough. Uh, he's taken to the orphanage and eventually adopted by the Kents. Uh, the Kents give him those those wonderful values uh, that uh, that he would eventually have. Uh, you get to see Clark uh, learning about his super strength for the first time, his flight for the first jumping for the first time, uh, his super speed, and realizing that he has to keep this hidden from the other kids uh, or else uh, he will kind of be calling attention to himself and putting himself in danger. Uh, when he does uh, realize he has to use his super strength to help someone, uh, he he then decides that he should don a costume and take on an identity so that he can do this stuff freely and not have to worry about people know, learning about Clark and uh, and his abilities. Uh, so really, it's it's very different from uh, what we had seen before. The original Superman uh, stories we had seen at this point, origin stories, uh, he doesn't adopt an identity until he was an adult. But here we see him adopting it. Uh, as uh, as a much much younger person, uh, it's really hard to tell. But he's uh, an early teenager, maybe thirteen years old, ten years old, maybe at the earliest. Hard to tell. Um, which is very very different uh, in the story. But in many ways, they treated them, uh, Superman and Superboy, almost as different characters. Uh, some people have speculated that uh, really this is the beginning of the Earth One uh, Superman, and the Superman appearing in other comics would still be the Earth Two Superman. Uh, and that's kind of vague at this time. There was no earth one or earth two. They were just telling different stories using the same, uh, character. And sometimes they mesh, sometimes they didn't. Um, and by, by giving us the origin, it kind of ties us to the Superman comics, but it also expands on the origin a little bit more. And, uh, this, this stuff is Superman when he was young. So it makes kind of a, a, a makes a lot of sense for them to tie the Krypton stuff in. Uh, all the stuff that we would eventually get in, in Superboy comics really are an expansion of the origin story itself. Now, the, the next Superman origin 
would be uh, in Superman number 53, uh, cover date August 1948, which uh, 1948 was the 10-year anniversary of, the or- of Superman's beginning. So DC decided uh, it was time to do a nice full, uh, full-length origin story for Superman, um, piecing together elements from, uh, from the Superboy stories uh, and, and adding a few new ones. Um, this has actually been reprinted a lot. Um, it was reprinted very early on as the Superman 3D comic. Uh, it's been in Superman through the 30s to the 70s and the 30s to the 80s, which were both some hardcover editions that came out uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Best of DC Digest, greatest Superman stories ever told, uh, Superman in the 40s. Well, like I said, one of the most reprinted Superman stories, and it really is the first time we get kind of the classic uh, pre-crisis Superman origin. Uh, It starts off with him doing his amazing feats and asks, how can he do that? And uh, we get uh, then head off to Krypton. Oh, just before I get farther, sorry. Uh, This was uh, written by Bill Finger with art by Wayne Boring and Stan Kay. Uh, Wayne Boring is uh, really one of the classic Superman uh, golden and into silver age artists. And here we've got a classic Superman look. Uh, this is the first time we get what would be the jor that we would see, uh, throughout the comics, uh, really up until the 1980s. Uh, he's, he's got the headband. He looks pretty much just like Clark. Uh, he's got a chest emblem, but this is actually the, the ringed planet chest emblem, which would eventually be uh, the Superman of Earth-1, uh, and also this Jor-El is J-O-R-L, so they uh, actually are doing it a little bit different. But again, Kryptonians have uh, X-ray vision, and it's a larger planet, so they recognize that if they were on Earth, they have strength due to the, uh, great strength due to the lower gravity. But it's the, the same uh, basic story. He presents uh, his information to the Council. They all laugh. He shoots his son off into space. Uh, the He is found... Uh, by the Kents again, um, he terrorizes the uh, the orphanage. Um, all of this is actually very similar to what's happened before, just a little bit more expanded, longer scenes, and uh, and really just kind of delving into it. Uh, we find out for the first time that Clark is uh, Martha's is Martha's maiden name, and that's where he gets his name from. But the same sort of thing. He gets, they realize he's invulnerable because he's hit by a tractor. He jumps over the house. He can see through things accidentally. Um, and then we get, uh, for the first time, the Jonathan's deathbed. Uh, swear to me that you will uh, do good and use your powers for right. Uh, and uh, and then he dies. And, and at the very end, we get Clark standing in front of their grave saying he's going to become a newspaper reporter so he can find out where trouble is. And, uh, and it ends with uh, his donning of the costume and taking the name Superman. Um, so again, it's, it's just kind of reinforcing things. It expands it. It puts it into really the whole story. Uh, it's, it's very well done, very well drawn, uh, and, and kind of takes things that, that are from other places and really crystallizes them in uh, official Superman canon. Uh, and, uh, and that would pretty much be the way that the story is presented uh, for, for quite a while. I mean, you would see it again uh, shortly after that in uh, 1949, Superman number 61, where DC realized that Superman didn't know his origins uh, on Krypton. So this is where they introduce uh, Kryptonite into the storyline. 
And it's uh, a Swami has a mystical gem that seems to be able to rob Superman of his powers. Uh, Superman decides that he uh, he needs to find out uh, what's up with this gem. He finds out it came from came from a meteor. Uh, he uses his uh, his great speed to travel faster than the speed of light and travel through time, tracing the meteor and its progress back to Krypton, where he sees uh, Jor-El, who he recognizes looks exactly like him. He sees uh, himself get placed uh, into uh, the rocket. At this time, uh, DC's rules of time travel were if you went back in time to any time period when you already existed, you would just appear as a phantom. So, uh, so he sees that. He sees uh, the classic Golden Age Jor-El put the child in the ship and uh, shoot the ship into space. That's when he realizes uh, that this is the planet that he came from. He really f- learns his origin, uh, learns uh, his father's name, learns the name of his planet. Uh, he knew that he had crashed in a spaceship, but they didn't know from where. Uh, and this was really the first time Superman has some idea of who he is and where he comes from, which would, uh, over time, become a very, very important uh, part of the mythology, um, as well as uh, introducing kryptonite into the comic book mythology. It had already existed in the radio show, uh, and uh, and there was a, a K-Metal story that uh, Siegel had pitched and, and uh, they did not use. That seems to happen a lot. Um and the idea that, that has, has come up that kryptonite is just this sort of symbol of his home, uh, but it's also deadly to him. Um, kryptonite plays a, a significant role in, in another Superman origin, uh, this time action number 158 from July 1951. Uh, and, and here, uh, Superman is, is dealing with uh, some criminals uh, in the story. The writer's unknown, but Wayne Boring and Stan Kay uh, also did this. This, uh, to my knowledge, has not been reprinted, so it's kind of hard to find. Uh, but uh, Superman is uh, is incapacitated by a meteor uh, that has been used by some criminals who uh, who Superman realizes it's kryptonite. And uh, while he's thinking about the uh, the kryptonite meteor, uh, there's a flashback to Krypton. Uh, basically just retelling his origin over a couple of pages, slightly different looking Jor-El, uh, but still the classic origin. And, uh, and it just sort of cuts right back to the scene with Superman being knocked out by the kryptonite. Uh, it's kind of strange. It's just sort of an interlude that, that takes you out of the, the storyline to explain what the kryptonite rock is. And, uh, in many ways, I think that's because at this time there was a lot of turnover, uh, in comics, the, the general, consensus would people would read comics for a few years they would become adults and comics were, were for kids and adults would then move on so you kind of had to retell uh stories a lot uh, they didn't do a lot of reprints at this time uh, sometimes because they would just recycle old storylines and uh, doing reprints kind of meant uh, you would not be able to put that in the new stuff uh so, uh, so they would retell origins and they would retell information sometimes as interludes like this, sometimes in quick text boxes or one page things, uh, just to really give people, uh, new readers, uh, of which there would be every few years, uh, a, a chance to find out, uh, who these people are and, and, uh, why they have these abilities. So, uh, that, that in, in the early days was, uh, was kind of one of the other functions of the origin was just telling people stuff that uh, you know others may know, but because they're new uh, to this particular character, again, this is uh, 1951 at this point. Superman's only been around 
for a little over 10 years. So there's certainly a second generation, maybe a third generation of fans who, uh, who may not have known Superman's origin yet. than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Up till now, we've been talking about what is considered the golden age of comics. Um, and uh, I, not to get too much into comics history, but near the end of the golden age, uh, superhero comics had uh, stopped selling as well as they had. Uh, horror comics and crime comics were on the rise, uh, along with some other genres. And uh, this got the attention of uh, a psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham, who wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent, uh, which helped kind of fuel the uh, fans of an anti-comic book craze in the 50s. That, uh, Similar to like the resistance to rock and roll, uh, things in youth culture were being blamed for the rise in... Uh, Juvenile delinquency uh, and comic books was among them. There was even a Senate hearing um, that uh, eventually, uh, though comics in in, in the uh, the hearing were exonerated, led to the formation of something called the Comics Code in uh, in 1951, and uh, this basically restricted all but the most kid friendly type material. So superhero comics. Uh, kind of stayed on, but they kind of limped along because they had been been sanitized. Uh, a lot of them died, uh, or at least they stopped publication. Green Lantern, The Flash, uh, a lot of DC's heroes, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are the only ones that actually kind of made it out. Uh, and DC was publishing a variety of other uh, stories, uh, including some science fiction stories. Uh, in the 50s, uh, the science fiction stories, along with science fiction movies, actually started gaining some popularity. And uh, in 1956, DC took The Flash uh, and revived him as a totally new character. And it was a huge hit in Showcase number 4. Uh, shortly after that, they would do the same thing with uh, Green Lantern, uh, recreating the Golden Age Green Lantern as an entirely new character, this time with a science fiction-based origin. Uh, they would also give uh, sci-fi origins to uh, characters like Hawkman and the Atom. And uh, Batman would have sci-fi adventures in the 50s. Uh, it became really kind of a strong sci-fi time in DC Comics. And Superman, who uh, was really kind of one of the earliest of sci-fi characters, uh, a lot of that became uh, explored in, in great detail. Uh, many people consider the, the Silver Age of Superman beginning... Uh, with uh, the arrival of Crypto uh, and uh, the expansion of, of the Superman family. Crypto uh, obviously was, was sent to Earth uh, from Krypton, which sort of expands his origin. Supergirl, uh, her origin ties into uh, Krypton. So really all throughout the Silver Age, Superman's origin is, is expanded in a way uh, 
it, it never had been before. Uh, during the 50s, the, uh, the TV show was on the air, and, and a lot of the comics uh, had Superman facing gangsters and thugs and, and mad scientists uh, with some, some really kind of unspectacular stories because they wanted them to, to mirror what was going on in the TV show. But when the TV show ended, uh, they were free to do some pretty wild stuff. Uh, Superman would return to Krypton uh, back in time, meet his father, and you get the introduction of the Phantom Zone, uh, and, and a lot of stories set on Krypton, learning about its culture, uh, all throughout uh, the 1960s. Uh, one of the examples of this is they actually pulled a lot of these different stories together from from various backup features and Superboy features. Uh, in Superman number 146 from July of 1961, uh, the writer is unknown. The artist is Al Plastino. Uh, it's been reprinted in uh, 80-page Giant, uh, number 8. Uh, Superman in the 60s showcase presents Superman Volume 3, uh, various other places. And this really is the definitive Silver Age uh, classic origin story. Uh, we begin uh, with a, a quick little display of Superman's powers and ask the question, how did he get these powers? And then uh, it jumps right into Krypton. Uh, Krypton is now orbiting a red sun. Um, they show the advanced technology uh, and, and just a lot of slice of life scenes around Krypton showing how advanced it is. It has weather control uh, machines and strange pets and robots. And, uh, and all along in this, this kind of incredible sci-fi futuristic utopia, uh, there are earthquakes and the scientist Jor-El and this is the classic Jor-El. He's got a sun on his chest. He's wearing the green and red. He's got the headband. He looks just like Superman. Uh, he's predicting the destruction of the planet, which no one believes, uh, except for his brother Zor-El, who would protect his uh, his city of Argo City, uh, where Supergirl would eventually come from. We see Crypto being launched into the rocket. Uh, we don't see Beppo at this time. Uh, but it is the rocket is launched to Earth as Krypton explodes, and it's found by... Uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent, who drop him off in an orphanage where he causes havoc as as usual. Uh, but we get we get some more of the stuff from the Superboy comics. We see him uh, using his super abilities uh, really as a toddler, um, even crushing uh, the uh, the classic coal into diamond, which I think would make the Kents a little bit richer. But we get the idea that he was moving so fast he would burn up his clothes. And uh, they use the blankets that he was wrapped in, the red, yellow, and blue blankets, to make children's clothes for him. Uh, those clothes would eventually uh, be re-woven into his costume, so we get that his costume is Kryptonian. Uh, we get scenes of him uh, learning how to fly uh, using balloons and, and Pa Kent kind of flying him around. And uh, we see him adopting the identity of Superboy. Uh, this is the first time in a Superman origin they had mentioned the Superboy character. And uh, Superboy basically starting a career as a hero on his own. Uh, we get the origin of, of Clark Kent's glasses, that the, the metal in them is actually from the spaceship. Uh, we get uh, the origin of the Superboy robots. We get uh, Crypto. Uh, we get how he found out about his superpowers. Uh, we get him learning about Kryptonite. Uh, we get the classic Jonathan Kent uh, death scene where he promises to use his powers for good. And then he flies off to Metropolis where uh, we're, we're told he becomes a reporter and then eventually uh, a, a citizen of the world as he's granted citizenship in every country in the United States. 
Um, this is the classic uh, Superman story. Uh, the, the origin really would, would sort of follow this format uh, for quite some time. One example of this uh, is from 1973. Uh, there was a, an oversized treasury edition called the Amazing World of Superman, Metropolis edition. Uh, and it features a, an origin of Superman uh, written by uh, E. Nelson Bridwell uh, with art by Carmen Infantino, Kurt Swan, and uh, Murphy Anderson. Uh, this was a collector's edition, oversized uh, black and white uh, treasury edition. Uh, this story has actually been re reprinted also in uh, Secret Origins of Super DC Heroes. Uh, great Superman comic book collection. Superman from the 30 to the 80. Superman Returns the movie. Uh, this also is one of the uh, Superman through the ages. Um, this this is also one of the the kind of most reprinted stories. And this really I think was created in many ways to to be a a more modern definitive version. All the pieces were pretty much in place, uh, and and it follows very very quickly. Uh, it's it's a very iconic version. Uh, it starts off with a faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings. Uh, but how did Superman get these powers? And again, we're back to Krypton with a red sun, uh, and it's it's that classic Jor-el, uh, but this time really absolutely beautifully drawn by uh, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. Um, by this time, uh, art and comic books had, had, uh, started to mature a lot into the seventies. And, uh, and I think this was really an attempt to kind of modernize it, make it a little bit cleaner. Uh, it's much more modern storytelling. Uh, the scenes are expanded uh, a little bit more, but we get, uh, Jor-El in front of the science council. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, he can't convince them earthquakes are shaking the planet. So they put Cal in the model rocket ship and uh, shoot him off into space. As the planet is destroyed, he's found by the Kents. Uh, all of this very, very similar to what uh, we had seen in the previous one. The same stuff with the orphanage. Uh, really, the it, it's kind of a very close retelling, except for a couple of, of strange uh, changes in emissions. Uh, previously in all the origin stories, when the, or, when the rocket ship had crashed... 
uh, it had burned up. It had uh, exploded. Uh, and in this one, the rocket ship actually stays completely intact and goes back to the Kent home. And then, uh, strangely, in this one, Ma and Pa Kent, we get the bur- the scene at their graves. But their graves aren't Smallville Cemetery. They're actually on the Kent farm uh, in Metropolis. Uh, but other than that, everything in here is, is very much the same. Uh, and, and I think there's something kind of interesting going on as far as uh, those, those slight changes. Uh, around that time, there were plans for a Superman theme park. And this was going to be one of the collectibles that, uh, that was sold in that theme park. And this obviously would give people an introduction to Superman. Uh, one of the uh, explanations for the changes in this story uh, is this theme park would have uh, a replica of the Kent farm and uh, you would be able to uh, visit the Kent grave site uh, in the farm and also see the, the rocket ship. So they actually kind of adjusted the origin here, uh, tweaked it a little bit uh, so that the origin you read here would, uh, would flow very well into the Superman theme park. Which, uh, which never materialized in the 70s. Um, but one of the things that materialized in the 70s that really brought Superman to a lot of people was uh, the first Superman movie uh, by Richard Donner. Uh, we've, we talked about this movie uh, in a commentary, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. Uh, but it, again, uh, brought a very, very different origin of Superman to the screen, uh, an origin that didn't have Superboy. Krypton was now uh, crystalline and everybody dressed in glowing white clothes, except for the black robes uh, during the court scene. Uh, the S is no longer a symbol for Superman. It's the house of Jor-El. Uh, the Smallville stuff is fairly well intact, although uh, this just goes back to Jonathan Kent uh, dying, uh, not Jonathan and Martha, as, as it had been in the comics. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was a huge hit and actually introduced Superman to a lot of people, um, myself included, uh, and, uh, DC capitalized on this, uh, very, very well, uh, by introducing a lot of, of new Superman material. Uh, one of the first things they did was release a mini series called the world of Krypton. This was really the first, uh, mini series. It was a three issue story. Uh, and, uh, it was actually telling you a lot of background story on, uh, on Jor-El. It's basically Jor-El's life story. Um, but it does feature at the very end, all of the stuff that, uh, that we've seen in various other, uh, incarnations, uh, of, of the, of Jor-El shooting the rocket into space, his pleas made to the science council, all of that still kind of told in that same basic style. Uh, it was, uh, written by Paul Kupperberg, uh, with art by Howard Chaikin and Murphy Anderson. Uh, it was reprinted uh, in like a, a mass market paperback from Tor Books in 1982. Uh, and, uh, and it was the, it's kind of acknowledges as the, certainly the first DC miniseries, but the first uh, minise- limited miniseries in general. So it was only three issues long. Um, it, it expands the mythology a little bit, but it really uh, is just sort of shifting the focus over to uh, Jor-El, uh, instead of Superman. Now, the uh, focus would shift back to Superman uh, shortly after that in uh, Action Comics number 500 in October of 1979. It's by Marty Pasco, Kurt Swan, uh, Mark Schiamonte. Uh, it's been reprinted as a mass market trade paperback uh, in 1982 and 2004. Uh, this is the 500th issue of Action Comics, the 500th uh, consecutive appearance of Superman in Action Comics. 
uh, to celebrate the anniversary, they decide to retell Superman's origin. Um, and though it starts off like uh, most of the other ones, uh, it actually becomes a little bit different very quickly. You've got the uh, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Uh, and then we realize that this isn't going to be just some objective flashback, that uh, this is a story set in current modern DC continuity. Superman is arriving at a Superman museum uh, that's been dedicated to him and uh, to celebrate uh, all that he has done for Metropolis and the world. Uh, he meets a guy that looks an awful lot like uh, Colonel Sanders with long hair. He's an entrepreneur, uh, J. Robert Arngrim, who is the, the person who put this thing together. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're introduced to uh, Perry White and Lois Lane and Lana Lang, who had become part of modern continuity at that time. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Steve Lombard, uh, you know, everything, all the, all the Superman supporting cast uh, is there. Uh, as as he takes uh, them and a, a big audience of people and the audience reading the comic on a tour of this Superman museum, which also happens to be a tour through his life. So it starts off in a big Krypton exhibit where there's lots of replicas of Krypton. Uh, as he's walking around, uh, he uh, goes to a mind prober ray uh, that, uh, that will actually find some of his memories and project them on a screen. Uh, while he does that, there's some secret... Uh, lab somewhere where someone's uh, working on something in this uh, in a canister that's trying to access Superman's memory bank. Uh, Superman recalls his early life on Krypton. Uh, at this point, Superman was actually a few years old, like three years old when uh, when he was uh, sent to Earth. Uh, but he remembers the earthquakes. He remembers his father's pleas. He remembers his father telling everyone about this. He remembers uh, Beppo being shot in, or Crypto being shot into space. And uh, he remembers the destruction of the planet. Uh, while all this is going on, the mysterious scientist uh, is uh, is actually uh, got a, a small child that looks exactly like the young Clark plugged into this device and is feeding him all this information uh, while Superman's recalling all of this. Uh, he remembers the destruction of the planet uh, and uh, and bursts out of his uh, out of the mind probe array and. Uh, is, uh, is very, very distraught. First time we really see Superman reaction, reacting to uh, to what happened on Krypton. But as he walks around, uh, he talks about uh, Smallville and he takes us uh, through uh, some of what happened in Smallville. He doesn't give the crowd too much uh, of the information, but the, the audience gets a lot of his memories and a lot of his flashbacks. Uh, we, we see the same, a very, very kind of detailed version of how he gets, how he learns about each power individually, about how he is, his super suit is built. Uh, this time we get information like the belt is actually the safety belt from uh, the, the rocket and his boots were made from the upholstery of the rocket. So it's very, very detailed. It's really everything you need to know about Superman uh, wrapped into one story. Um, it, it gives the origin of kryptonite, uh, the origin of the Phantom Zone. Uh, crypto, all of the different characters, uh, various villains, uh, really anybody who wanted to know anything about Superman, you could go here and, and get it all. But the whole thing is framed in this story of Superman walking around the museum, uh, while some mysterious, uh, thing is going on in a lab with, uh, a Superman child who eventually becomes a teenager and is kind of rapidly growing, uh, as Superman is remembering all of this. And uh, then it turns out that the scientist is Lex Luthor, who created a Superman clone, 
and all of this was uh, a trick to have him. He uh, he cloned uh, the the guy who ran the Superman Museum to get a, a skin sample uh, from Superman. Uh, he used all of these places where Superman would start remembering things. Uh, the only thing is he changed Superman's memories of Lex. Uh, at, at this time, Lex uh, in the comics was a friend of his in Smallville, a brilliant scientist. Uh, Superboy came in on an experiment that had gone wrong. He blew out the flames and it made Lex bald. Lex felt that Superboy destroyed his hair to uh, to make him look bad and swore vengeance. It was kind of a flimsy Silver Age excuse for having a supervillain, but... Uh, you know, that's, that, that was the time. Um, Lex changes that so that Superman, this clone Superman will actually view Lex as the, the wronged party. Uh, Lex's plan is to replace Superman with this clone, a clone that's actually, uh, in Lex's thrall and, and actually believes Lex to be a good guy. But of course, by the end, Superman thwarts it because apparently there's actual kryptonite in this museum and Superman depowers his clone with, uh, gold kryptonite. Of course, what happened to that clone with no powers is never followed up on. Uh, but really, this this book, uh, I think for people coming into comics, into Superman after Superman the movie, this was a great way to learn really everything that uh, that you needed to follow the Superman comics at the time, which were quite a bit different from the movie. Uh, I mean, the same basic stuff is always there, but uh, the Superman in the comics was a very, very rich mythology that had been built over 40 years of comics uh, at this point. Uh, it's a great anniversary issue. Um, it really does give you everything you needed to know about Superman. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all of this information wouldn't be around much longer. Uh, in 1984, DC Comics would uh, decide to do uh, a, a drastic overhaul of their entire line with the crisis on infinite earths uh they destroyed the multiverse which was uh the superman of the golden age and all the golden age characters existed on earth two the bronze and silver age characters were on earth one uh characters like shazam and the blue beetle and other characters that dc had acquired over the years were on separate earths uh there were a variety of different continuities sometimes they overlapped sometimes it was kind of confusing and uh dc decided to kind of modernize their entire line. They'd been uh, losing ground to Marvel Comics for, for quite a long time at this point, and uh, something drastic was called for. So uh, they rebooted the characters. Everything got a fresh start, uh, some characters more so than others. Uh, Superman uh, would actually wind up getting overhauled completely. Uh, but before that would happen, they had one last uh, goodbye for the Earth-2 Superman, the Superman that supposedly was the one that appeared in Action Comics number one. Uh, to explain all of these new origins and new backstories for various characters, DC launched a book called Secret Origin in April of 1986. Uh, the very first story that they did here was the Golden Age Superman. Uh, after this, it would basically be uh, tales set in the new continuity, giving, giving people an idea of how the origins had changed. But this one really is a tribute to the very first DC hero, uh, and it is a tribute to Action Comics number one. Uh, the front cover has Superman, Dr. Fate, uh, the Golden Age Flash, the Spectre, and Wonder Woman all looking into a crystal ball, seeing uh, the cover, uh, Super, or Superman lifting a card, much like he did at the beginning of Action Comics number one. Uh, it's uh, written by Roy Thomas, who was pretty much the king of the Golden Age at this time. 
uh, and illustrated by Wayne Boring and Jerry Ordway. Wayne Boring actually, you know, was uh, one of the uh, the great Superman Golden Age artists. He actually uh, illustrated that uh, 10th anniversary uh, Superman origin, which uh, was really kind of definitive. And this it bears a lot of uh, similarities to that. Uh, Jerry Ordway had made a name for himself doing the Golden Age Superman uh, in All-Star Squadron, but he was going to be one of the people taking over uh, the new Superman book uh, in just a few months. Uh, and this is a very kind of classic origin. It starts off on Krypton. It's got uh, Jor-El. He's slightly different than the Silver Age Jor-El. Uh, he doesn't have a cape, um, uh, but he does have the headband and he dresses in green. But these Kryptonians uh, do have slight superpowers. Uh, his name is J-O-R-L, uh, and his wife is Laura, L-O-R-A. So uh, the, they're slightly different because that was some of the small differences they gave to the Earth 2 Superman. Uh, but this is a retelling of his origin. This is the last time we'd see the classic uh, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon-style Krypton in, in regular continuity. Uh, we get all the, the same uh, stuff in the orphanage. The, the doctor breaking uh, his, his needle on Clark's arm. Uh, the death of the Kents. Uh, moving to Metropolis, we actually get a retelling of the story that's in Action Comics number one uh, with the, actually a little bit of backstory that, that was fleshed out in Superman number one. You see him uh, go to the governor. You see him uh, fight the thugs and lift the car over his head. You see uh, him go out to dinner with Lois and get uh, embarrassed. You see him uh, or frighten the, uh, the lobbyist. Uh, you know, all the stuff that was in Action Comics number one. Uh, is reprinted here along with a, a pinup by uh, by Joe Schuster, one of the later ones. Uh, it's really a good uh, send-off, a good goodbye to the classic Superman as they made way for a brand-new Superman and a brand-new origin that we would get uh, in a miniseries called The Man of Steel. Up until now, all of the stories had been recounts or additions, um, sometimes contradictions. Um, all, but from Action Comics number one, all of it has been this sort of uh, expanding of the, the mythology over uh, 40 years. Um, in the 70s, though, with Marvel Comics, uh, they had to kind of change things. Uh, continuity in DC had sort of been frozen, but... Uh, Marvel made made their characters evolve more and and change and grow, and and DC kind of had to to follow suit. Uh, this idea that you would just use the same character and the same stories every couple of years uh, because you had new fans coming in uh, just didn't hold up. The fans were getting older, and uh, and they wanted the heroes to change, and uh, and kind of reflect things. So they made a a bold move with the crisis, uh, and and restarting Superman entirely from scratch, throwing out at this point uh, nearly 50 years of continuity, um, but still trying to keep uh, what made Superman popular and successful in the first place. Uh, and they handed this over 
to John Byrne um, to uh, to give a brand new storyline with the Man of Steel. Uh, it was a six issue miniseries, so we've actually got uh, a very long story uh, devoted entirely to this to this origin. Um, it ran from October 1986 to December 1986. It was a, a biweekly book. Um, those were the cover dates that actually uh, came out uh, earlier in uh, in the summer. Um, it was by John Byrne and Dick Giordano. Uh, it's been reprinted in uh, various printings, uh, various uh, different trade paperbacks. DC has kept it in print for the most part um, from uh, from the like not late 1980s. Uh, up until the present, um, there's been uh, Millennium Edition. Uh, the first issue was uh, was collected in the world of Krypton trade paperback. Uh, Secret Origins, Super DC Heroes, individual pieces of this. Uh, but actually, it's, it's it's really very easy to get. Um, and this and many things are available digitally too. Um, so where the other origins were kind of building on what had come before, this one threw everything out. And started fresh as if Superman was created in 1986 and how how different it would be. Uh, John Byrne had made a name for himself at Marvel Comics at this point. He had uh, uh, worked on the X-Men, which was really kind of the one of the first of the great uh, Bronze Age fan favorite books. Uh, and then he went from there to the Fantastic Four, which was Marvel's flagship book and uh, and revitalized it by kind of bringing it back to the basics um, and, and making the, the book much more in line with what Stanley and Jack Kirby had created. So he, he kind of is doing the same thing here. I mean, this is a stripped down uh, Golden Age Superman. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's weaker. Uh, he was never Superboy. Uh, he has a, a different relationship with his supporting cast. He's more grounded, uh, more realistic. Uh, the story starts off on Krypton again, but it's a completely different kind of Krypton. It's a very different sci-fi krypton this doesn't look like uh buck rogers uh it doesn't look like anything that really i'd seen before i mean john byrne has a very specific uh interesting tech style and, and he gives this a very very modern look uh jor-el is now dressed in like a long green robe and a black bodysuit uh young cal hasn't even been born he's actually in a gestation chamber because kryptonians are fair almost like vulcans they're very emotionless uh they don't actually uh, procreate together um jor-el and lara had barely known each other uh in, in this continuity krypton is a very cold very harsh uh planet that, that really kind of sort of takes away the great tragedy of of krypton's destruction uh we 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 see jor-el uh kind of building the rocket ship around him and explaining to, to Lara why he was sending him off. Uh, he knew Krypton would explode, that uh, the radiation at Krypton's core was turning the planet into kryptonite. Um, so it's a very, very different uh, origin, a very kind of uh, a modern take. Uh, the look and the style and the feel, I mean, and, and, and just even the narrative perspective, this first chapter is really all about Jor-El. Uh, and then he sends Clark off. Uh, the planet explodes uh, at the very end of, uh, of the first chapter, and we, we cut to Smallville. Um, and this Clark is going to be very different, too. He's actually winning a football game, uh, which is something his father doesn't really want him to do. This is not the, the kind of nerdy Clark Kent that we saw before. This Clark, uh, we learn, develops his powers a little bit later, a little bit more uh, rapidly. Uh, so we learn to control them. And uh, and Jonathan Kent had kind of had, had been a little bit different in, in, in the upbringing. Uh, he, he reveals to Clark um, 
that uh, Clark is an extraterrestrial. He, Clark never knew this uh, until uh, until like the end of his his high school years. Uh, we get Jonathan telling him how uh, the the ship crashed on the farm. Uh, there's no longer a passing motorist. Um, but they uh, instead of adopting him, uh, they just sort of pretended that he was their own and that Martha had 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 him during kind of an extended uh, winter where people were sort of kept apart. So everyone actually in this universe, this Clark Kent, uh, people don't think he's adopted. They think he's the biological child of, of Jonathan and Martha. But it's the same sort of stuff. They find out that he's invulnerable. He uh, displays his powers over time. Uh, they knew he was uh, found in the rocket ship, but uh, but Clark didn't. And uh, he he decides that uh, he's going to go off and, and explore the world and uh, see what what the world has to offer someone with his abilities. Uh, he goes around and uh, is doing good. Martha's tracking the, the uh, response to this mysterious person um, and in newspaper articles and things like that. Uh, and uh, eventually he winds up going public by, you know, display, by, you know flying up and saving Lois Lane and, and a, a space plane. Uh, he adopts the identity of Superman at the very end of the first issue with a costume made by, by, uh, Martha Kent, the blanket thing is gone. Now his, uh, his own super invulner- invulnerability is kind of a, an aura that protects clothing that's next to him. Uh, so by wearing tights, it's, it's gains his invulnerability, although it can be damaged and the cape gets damaged, which is something that happens a lot. Uh, and that's the, uh, the end of Man of Steel number one, each issue would focus on a different aspect. Uh, issue two was was really the beginning of, of his relationship with Lois Lane and how he actually uh, becomes uh, uh, known by the world, uh, how Clark Kent gets his job at the Daily Planet. Uh, the third issue establishes this new relationship with Batman. In the past, they had been best friends, but a lot of people thought that didn't make a lot of sense. Now we, we see a different relationship with Batman, something that's a little bit more antagonistic as Superman is a creature of the light who inspires and Batman is a creature of the dark who, who, uh, frightens. Uh, so we get this kind of mutual respect, but, uh, very clearly a different relationship than we had ever had before. Uh, the fourth issue introduces us to the new, uh, Lex Luthor. No longer is he uh, a contemporary of Clark's from Smallville. He is no longer a mad scientist or, uh, or just a, an evil criminal. He's actually a, a super billionaire genius, uh, that is out in the open in public, and he's kind of like a, a Donald Trump type, uh, an evil Tony Stark type. Uh, he has his hair uh, when we meet him here, although it's it's thinning. Uh, and his real power comes from the fact that he's got so much money. He's got great political uh, influence over Metropolis, and and certainly is involved in in a lot of criminal activity too. Um, he uh, Superman embarrasses him publicly and uh, establishes that he is the most powerful person in Metropolis, and that uh, begins the new take on the Superman-Luthor rivalry. Uh, the fish, fifth issue has a retelling of a classic Bizarro story, but in the new continuity. Uh, and in the sixth issue, uh, Superman encounters kind of the the recording left in his spaceship, uh, and he learns all about Krypton, uh, but also at the end proclaims that that's not important. That uh, what's important to him is is not the planet that he came from, but the person that he is. Uh, and a lot of this uh, is is really done to kind of refocus the character. Um, as he says at the very end, uh, it's uh, it's Krypton that makes him super, 
but uh, it's uh, Smallville and Clark Kent that uh, that really makes him Superman, uh, that makes him human. Uh, this is a much more human uh, character, a more relatable character. Uh, that's exactly what he was designed to to do here. And by by retelling the origin and shifting the focus away from Krypton and really shifting the focus to Smallville, uh, we get a very different kind of take on, on, on who Superman is. Uh, and that would be kind of a dominant take for a very, very long time. Uh, it's a great uh, six-issue series. Uh, it's It really kind of set the, the tone uh, for, for not just uh, Superman, but for the way they would handle these kind of reboots uh, going forward. Uh, keeping certain elements from the past, but uh, but updating them in a very very modern way uh, to make him relatable. They got a, got rid of things like Superboy, even though Byrne uh, said he regretted uh, getting rid of Superboy. But it ultimately gives them a, a a reason to create Superboy as an entirely new character, so that he can coexist with Superman. Um, but there are some big changes to the mythology. The Lex Luthor billionaire, uh, which is really kind of the Lex Luthor that we have today. Uh, and Lex Corp and things like that were all introduced here. Uh, the the Kents are alive at the end of this. And in, in all the previous Superman stories, while he's Superman, uh, an adult Superman in Metropolis, his parents are both dead. But uh, in the new continuity, uh, they're alive. They're younger than they were before. Uh, and and Byrne figured that would also give them give Superman more relatability, as most people in their twenties uh, and thirties. Uh, have at least one, if not both, parents alive. Uh, they would give him someone to talk to, someone to to uh, give exposition to when need be, and also just a chance to have Clark fleshed out. He could return home to Smallville, return home to that to uh, that Middle America, and really keep that part of who he is uh, emphasized in the character, which really it hadn't been through a lot of the the Bronze Age because Superman was no longer connected to Smallville uh, as an adult. But uh, his Smallville roots with Mon Pa Kent still being alive uh, really sort of invigorated the more human aspect of the character. Uh, this uh, was an important miniseries. Uh, how, how well it was received uh, is something of some debate. I think there's a lot of, of negative uh, press associated with it. But uh, I know I was working at a comic book store when, when the Superman... Uh, when the Man of Steel came out and Superman was relaunched and certainly was hugely popular and sold very, very well. Um, it, uh, a lot of old fans didn't like the changes to the continuity, but it, it, it brought a lot of new people in. I had been, I had known Superman. I had been a Superman fan before, but, uh, this really became, uh, my Superman. John Byrne was my favorite artist at the time. And, uh, it was a brand new start for this character. Um, and Byrne would continue this uh, in in several other places. Uh, he did his own World of Krypton miniseries. It was a four-issue miniseries uh, with Mike Mignola uh, and Rick Bryant and Carlos Garzon. Uh, it's been reprinted in a World of Krypton trade paperback. Uh, much like the original series, the first few issues actually take place in, in Krypton's distant past, where the seeds for why it exploded were laid. Uh, but then it ends uh, with Jor-El, and gives a lot of good backstory uh, with Jor-El and Lara and uh, how they, they did actually meet um, prior to uh, having their their genetic material artificially mixed and turned into uh, young Cal. Um, there's really really just a lot of expansion of, uh, of what Jor-El meant to the, to the series. 
you learn about the terrorist history of Krypton, uh, clone problems on Krypton, uh, and it ends with a retelling of, of the the scenes from Man of Steel number one, and sometimes uh, even the entire panels being redrawn. Uh, Byrne would actually kind of repeat this in uh, in a World of Smallville miniseries uh, from April 1998 to July 1998 uh, that he wrote uh, with Kurt Schaffenberger and Alfredo Alcala on artwork, and a World of Metropolis miniseries uh, that uh, that ran uh, from August 1988 to to November 1988. So it's three four issue miniseries, basically an entire year, just padding out. Uh, what was given to us in the Man of Steel. Uh, Smallville, you get Martha's history, you get Jonathan's history, uh, you get some more of Lana's history. Each issue of World of Metropolis focuses on a different character like Perry and and Lois and uh, and Clark, actually, uh, when he came to Metropolis, and Jimmy. Uh, so really, the, the Man of Steel started it, and then he continued it in the world of Krypton, world of Smallville, and world of Metropolis. So at the end, we've got a very, very large, rich... Uh, mythology, not quite to the level that it was before, but certainly something that is very, very uh, complicated and and robust and, and, and actually ties together very, very well. Uh, Byrne would actually have Superman kind of return to Krypton in, uh, in Superman number 18 from June of 1988 uh, with Mike Mignola on artwork. Um, and he has a bizarre flashback uh, he actually travels to where Krypton uh, was, where and now it's basically just a, a lot of debris and a lot of kryptonite. He has a weird hallucination of uh, a slightly different version of the events of uh, Krypton's destruction, where Jor-El actually convinces everyone uh, of of Krypton's destruction, and uh, and they all head off to Earth and space arcs, and then eventually the Kryptonians take over the Earth, uh, which is a very very strange take on the story. But uh, yeah, this this was the the kind of modern age Superman. This was the New Deal, uh, the new uh, continuity, and uh, and and this was going to be it uh, going forward. But um, still, somehow those plans always seem to uh, seem to have a problem. Now, shortly after this, uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie would be released. Uh, this became a huge success, uh, revitalized the superhero movie market in a way that, uh, that really even Superman hadn't. Um, and, and why is this important in a Superman discussion? Because this ultimately leads to a Batman animated series uh, by Bruce Timm and, and Paul Dini, which was also hugely successful. 
this spawned the Superman animated series. And uh, in the Superman animated series, we, we get another origin story. And this origin is kind of interesting because visually it takes a lot of cues of, of Burns' origin. Um, it's got the long robes and the, the kind of black uh, tights. But this Jor-El uh, wears a headband and looks an awful lot like Clark. Uh, and the, the culture of Krypton in the animated origin uh, seems to be a lot more like the Silver Age. It's actually a kind of an interesting blend of some of the Silver Age elements with some of the uh, modern John Byrne elements. And when we get to Smallville, uh, we very much get the classic John Byrne Superman and we get the Kents being alive, but we get this strange sort of semi-Silver uh, Age, but modern-looking Krypton. And this was kind of the first hint that, uh, that maybe the old Krypton was not as dead as everyone thought. Uh, certainly a lot of people, a lot of professionals... Um, did not care for what Byrne had done. I say Byrne, but it was also Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway. Uh, but Byrne tends to get both the credit and the blame on, on the Superman reboot. But, uh, but there were multiple people involved, including, you know, Dick Giordano and Andy Helfler, uh, the, uh, the editor. Uh, but a lot of people really kind of missed the, uh, the old Superman. Um, and certainly Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, uh, when they did Batman the Animated Series, they, they did something kind of interesting where they took a variety of different interpretations of these characters uh, from movies and comics and TV and various other medium and sort of condensed it into a real uh, real basic iconic version. And, and a lot of people think that the versions, the animated versions that they did uh, in many ways are the best representations of these characters. Uh, and, and one of the reasons is because they kind of pick and choose the best of all the different interpretations. Now, uh, this would actually uh, kind of make its way into the comics, strangely enough, uh, with uh, a Superman piece on Earth. Uh, this was an oversized, uh, tabloid-sized, uh, fully painted comic by Alex Ross and uh, Paul Dini, who had done the Superman animated series. Now, the story in general is a, is a very interesting kind of classically told Superman story about why Superman can't save all of the world's problems. But all of the uh, these treasury-sized uh, stories, they did one for Superman, one for Batman, one for Wonder Woman, and one for Captain Marvel, all, all open with a, a double-page spread painted origin of Superman. And this is, starts off with Krypton exploding and the ship racing away, much like it was in the, the very first origin uh, back in, in Action Comics number one. Uh, we get panels of the Kents finding him and teaching him his values. We get the faster than a locomotive panel. We get the fly, flying panel. We get the super strong panel. And we get the Clark Kent reporter panel. Basically, they go all the way back to Action Comics number one and the two pay, or Action number one and Superman number one. Where, where they have just these few panels telling everything. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is the way Ross chooses to paint the rocket ship flying away from Krypton. Uh, it's painted kind of as a blur and a silhouette, so it could very much be the the uh, birthing matrix that, uh, that Byrne had done and that was part of the new continuity. But it also could be seen as the classic uh, rocket ship from the Silver Age. And, uh, and Alex Ross certainly is a big fan of, of the pre-crisis DC universe. And it was kind of a way of, of blurring the line between the two in this, this storyline, which was kind of 
not entirely in continuity or out of continuity. It seems like Alex Ross got to make his own continuity at DC. Uh, but this is really the first hint, in, in print at least, that maybe some of the elements the, that had been discarded in the reboot uh, were going to start making their way back. I mean, certainly things like Supergirl had come back and strangely Superboy and the Phantom Zone villains, all in different storylines. Uh, all of these things that were that were huge parts of Superman's past were now kind of hovering around in, in, in altered versions, kind of making their way into this new continuity. Uh, but in Superman Peace on Earth, we get this first glimmer of of a change in Superman's origin. Now, something uh, kind of interesting happens in Superman number 166, uh, cover date March 2001. Uh, this is by Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis, and Cam Smith, uh, reprinted in the Superman Return to Krypton trade paperback. And in uh, here, uh, what ha- something kind of strange happens. The uh, the Kents uh, are awakened in the middle of the night by a a mysterious glowing green object that has landed uh, at their farm. Uh, when uh, Superman takes a look at it, it looks uh, remarkably like uh, the the classic rocket ship uh, from uh, the pre-crisis uh, origin story, um, the the rocket that basically was seen. Uh, from the Silver Age uh, through the Bronze Age up up until uh, the reboot with Man of Steel. Uh, it's got Kryptonian writing, and it's got an image of Jor-El that speaks in Kryptonian and then just sort of turns into a green crystal. Um, then uh, Superman takes the crystal to uh, Professor Hamilton, who was his resident uh, super scientist, who plugs him into a very Jack Kirby-looking machine, and uh, plugs in the crystal, and we get a a vision that Superman has of Jor-El uh, in the, the classic John Byrne look, uh, saying that uh, everything that he had learned so far was not true. Uh, and then this, uh, this image uh, sort of morphs into the classic uh, pre-crisis Silver Age Jor-El, uh, complete with the headband and the green costume, and the uh, the red cape and the the yellow sun on his chest, uh, and he shows them shows him a Krypton uh, very different from the one that he was familiar with. He shows him the classic uh, Silver Age Krypton, and basically says that the memories and uh, the the information that had been given to him uh, earlier were all false; that they were created so that uh, he would not miss Krypton, that Jor-El wanted him to uh, have a life on Earth, a fulfilling life on Earth. And so he created this fabricated Krypton for him so that uh, he wouldn't wind up longing for Krypton. Uh, then it shows him uh, the the new origin, the correct truth of, of his origins, which is basically the Silver Age version. And we get a retelling of that. Uh, complete with the the Flash Gordon-looking Krypton, with Jor-El presenting uh, his argument to the Science Council and being rejected, uh, in particular being rejected by uh, the pre-crisis General Zod, who was uh, bald uh, and and beardless and just wearing a typical military uniform. Uh, The the earthquakes on Krypton uh, go on, and... uh, 
Jorel puts Kal-El inside uh, the birthing matrix that was seen in Man of Steel, although it's not a birthing matrix now. It's uh, it's uh, the rocket ship. Uh, but this rocket ship is actually inside another rocket that looks exactly like the uh, pre-crisis rocket. It's basically like a two-stage model. The uh, red and blue pre-crisis rocket uh, gets him up into space and then uh, separates off, and the uh, the birthing matrix actually continues. Uh, this was actually quite... Uh, Quite a big stir when it came out. Uh, for for many years since the reboot, lots of fans had wanted the return of the the old school Krypton, and uh, it looked like that's what they were doing here. Um, now, in addition to this storyline, uh, that's really just the introduction of the story. The whole return of Krypton story. Uh, Emil Hamilton actually realizes that he can track this uh, this transmission through the Phantom Zone. And send Superman through the Phantom Zone back in time to, uh, to the the crypt to Krypton before it exploded, and uh, and he does that. He goes back with Lois. He poses as, uh, as well as a Kryptonian, uh, but he his name is Kal El. He doesn't uh, reveal to Jor El uh, who he is. He actually meets Jor El uh, before, um, before he's born. Uh, he meets up with some other characters in the Phantom Zone as, as he's going through there. And we get a very, a very interesting uh, sort of more Weisinger uh, era Superman uh, return to Krypton story, uh, just like we used to get in the Silver Age. Um, the Superman would actually work with Jor-El to uh, prevent the destruction of Krypton uh, and, uh, do battle with Zod and the Eradicators and, and some other Kryptonian forces. And this, this story played out across all of the Superman books, Superman, action comics, Superman, man of steel and adventures of Superman with a variety of creative teams. Uh, it, it, uh, basically kind of seemed like we were getting, uh, the classic Superman origin back. Um, Superman eventually does return to the present and return to earth, uh, knowing that this, alternate Krypton is is still out there and still accessible. And a little while later, they would do a sequel to the story uh, where Superman finds out that this is not, in fact, uh, the real Krypton. That was actually a, an artificial construct created by Brainiac to uh, to dupe him, but Brainiac created it a little too accurately, and uh, Jor-El wound up being uh, someone who was on Superman's side. It ends with a big battle with Superman versus Brainiac, where uh, Jor the artificial Jor-El uh, basically saves the day and kind of takes over uh, the running of this this new Krypton in the Phantom Zone. Uh, before Superman is returned home, however, uh, unable to return to this Krypton, uh, his pet Crypto comes with him, and it, this sort of becomes a reintroduction of Crypto into the modern Superman mythology. Uh, so it what seemed like it was going to be a return of the classic uh, Superman origin uh, just turned out to be a very good story, but uh, kind of a fake out. Um, but uh, it, it sort of reminded people that there were a lot of, there was still a lot of interest in this classic stuff. Uh, a lot of the pre-crisis stuff had sort of worked its way into the Superman mythology of the time. Uh, Bizarro had shown up uh, even beyond the uh, the one that was in the Man of Steel, one that was a little bit closer to the uh, classic Bizarro. Uh, Brainiac had shown up and morphed through several uh, incarnations, uh, becoming kind of a combination of several different takes on Brainiac. Candor uh, had shown up 
Supergirl had shown up, Superboy had shown up, all in very different versions. But uh, we were seeing a slow reintroduction of a lot of the the mythology of the pre-crisis Superman into the modern uh, version. And uh, this actually uh, seemed to, to click in a lot of ways. One other thing that happened uh, was uh, Smallville uh, in 2001 uh, would would show up on television and bring Superman to a whole new audience of people. Uh, Smallville is essentially uh, the origin of Superman, but it's at least the Smallville part. Uh, Eventually, after its 10-year run, he does adopt the Superman guys at the end, although he had kind of been Superman very much. Uh, But one of the things that Smallville did was reintroduce the Silver Age idea that uh, Clark and Lex knew each other uh, in Smallville. And that would actually wind up uh, working its way into the comics. Um, This this was done by Mark Wade uh, in in the comics. And uh, Mark Wade actually would eventually be asked to write a new origin for Superman. This wasn't intended necessarily to be a in-continuity origin. This was just going to be a 12-issue miniseries that uh, that gave a look at the origin of Superman, uh, something that was very consistent with what was going on in Smallville at the time, uh, but also not entirely inconsistent with uh, the comics at the time, although it did contradict some things from Man of Steel. Uh, and so we would see Superman Birthright, a uh, 12-issue series from uh, September 2003 to September 2004, uh, written by Mark Wade with uh, art by uh, Linnell Francis Yu and uh, Jerry Alanguilan. I'm sorry for mispronouncing that name. Uh, it's been reprinted in trade paperback and in hardcover format. Uh, it should be fairly easy to get. It's, it's stayed in print for a, a long time. Uh, and this was... A, a new origin, a 21st century origin that uh, that added some new wrinkles and uh, and, and brought back some old ones. Um, as as before, we start off kind of on Krypton. This time we're actually starting off with uh, with a, a different take on Jor-El. It's not the burn version. It's not the classic Silver Age version. It's actually a strange kind of updating of uh of the silver age it's uh certainly a more modern sci-fi look but it's no longer the sterile krypton uh jor-el and lara are are together they already have uh, a child um jor-el realizes what's happening uh and and much like the uh the superman movie introduced the s symbol as a uh, a family crest uh, here now, Jor-El is wearing it, but it's not a family crest. It's actually just a Kryptonian symbol. I'm not sure. I don't remember uh, what exactly it means. I know now it's become hope. Um, and uh, when they wrap Superman in, in his blankets, they're actually a, a tapestry. And uh, and this tapestry has the S symbol on it. 
Uh, so it's, it's, again, kind of going back to the Silver Age, but reinventing it in a different modern way, uh, a way very different from uh, what Byrne would do with Man of Steel. But again, we, we don't get the Science Council stuff. This is all just Jor-El and, and Lara and uh, sending him off into space. And uh, then we kind of jump to uh, really where the story is kind of happening in the present. Is our, we, we skip all of the crash and the landing, and, and Clark is now an adult who's uh, wandering around the world. Um, he's a reporter, and uh, he's in uh, Africa at this point, uh, work, helping out uh, with uh, the natives there, with the locals, and, and, and a civil war that's going on. And we really get to see that Superman has been building uh, his his kind of moral code, not just through his upbringing, but through his travels around the world and his his seeing the world and seeing the problems and, and coming to understand that he can uh, he can solve some of these problems. Uh, a lot of new wrinkles pop up. I mean, he's he's aware of his Kryptonian heritage through some some of the technology that was in the ship. Uh, Ma Kent actually is uh, is a a UFO UFO enthusiast. Uh, after realizing her son uh, is an extraterrestrial, uh, and uh, a lot of things like that. Uh, Clark, uh, after his travels around the world, realizes that he's got to. Uh, do something with these powers. He returns home to Smallville, and uh, and you know gets a hold of of these blankets, and and this is where he he builds the uh, the Superman character uh, in a way not too unlike uh, what had happened uh, in the past. Uh, Ma Kent actually puts together the costume for him uh, based on the the types of of sci-fi looking uh, clothing that you saw on Krypton. Uh, we actually do get a lot of stuff with uh, with Krypton on here, and in many ways, uh, you can see the influences of this uh, in in the upcoming Man of Steel series. We get a lot of Paul Kent's issues with Clark, and uh, realizing that if Clark uh, is really accepts his Kryptonian heritage, does that make him? Uh, will that make him less his son? Uh, Paul Kent uh, is, takes out his frustrations on the rocket ship, uh, things like that. Really a very different take, but a very modern, very sophisticated take. Uh, they, they, you know, give the origin of the Clark Kent persona, how he's basically acting, how the glasses change his eye color, and uh, he really just learns to behave in a very different way as he goes off to Metropolis to, uh, to start his new life as a reporter and as Superman. You know, we get uh, some classic stuff. We get him uh, meeting Lois and Perry for the first time. Uh, we get him saving Lois uh, in a helicopter, uh, which uh, certainly is a, a reference to Superman the movie. Uh, we, we get his, his first meeting with Lex, and then we find out that Lex actually uh, did know him in Smallville and had just been sort of pretending that he was never in Smallville, that he had outgrown it. Uh, Lex uh, has kryptonite uh, that he got when he was in Smallville because a piece of it sort of embedded itself in Superman's uh, ship when it was traveling to Earth. This was also something that happened in the, the pre-crisis or in the post-crisis Superman. Uh, and Lex has uh, has used his advanced technology uh, and his uh, to to kind of peer uh, into the past at Krypton. So he's actually aware of Krypton. He knows of of uh, Krypton through transmissions they've received and translated. He actually knows more about Krypton than than uh, Superman does in many ways. He realizes. 
the that Superman's extraterrestrial biology is uh, is what has powered him uh, as he learns about Krypton and its sun and its gravity. Uh, so it's 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 definitely a combination of businessman Lex, and uh, with a little bit more of the mad scientist Lex that we had in the in the pre crisis, but certainly businessman Lex uh, became a very formidable opponent. And uh, despite what changes has gone on with Superman, that's something that seems to be sticking around quite a bit. Uh, the story continues. Uh, it doesn't have any of the things like bizarro or batman or, or any of the stuff from uh man of steel it really focuses on this story of uh superman and lex and lois and, and superman revealing himself to the world uh lex uh some more information about lex and smallville and growing up where clark was his only friend lex was super smart and uh made everybody very very mad uh lex found kryptonite um and uh and ultimately, uh, we, we do have kind of a recreation when Lex is using kryptonite to power his uh, some of his technology. We have a recreation of the over of the accident that uh, that caused him to lose his hair, although it's not explicitly stated here that the hair loss is directly re- related to that. But you kind of get a recreation of that or an homage to that, which uh, has Lex deciding to stay out of Smallville forever. Uh, again, in this version, uh, Ma and Pa Kent are alive in the present. Uh, one of the things from Man of Steel that did stick around. But uh, Lex basically uses all his technology to imply that a an invasion of forces from Krypton are on its way, and Superman was the advanced scout. Uh, he gets the people to turn on Superman for a while. But, of course, it doesn't end, and Lex is found out, and everyone loves Superman again by the end. Uh, Superman learns a great deal of his origins uh, through uh, Lex's technology, which can kind of peer through time and space uh, in a wormhole that, uh, that goes back and looks at Krypton. Uh, Clark actually does get to uh, see his mother and father uh, right before they send him off, or right, maybe right after, uh, and, uh, and, and they realize that their son winds up very safe. It's really a great story. Uh, it's a good modern take, um, and it, it really had such a strong impact, even though it was controversial because it, it did undo a lot of the burn stuff. Uh, it was uh, popular enough and uh, effective enough that uh, DC kind of then decided to really work it into the continuity in a more official way. Uh, it was unclear when it was finished whether or not it was going to be a brand new origin officially or if it was just going to be an alternate. And uh, that question gets resolved in uh, Superman number 200, written by uh, Stephen T. Siegel with uh, art by a lot of people, including Scott McDaniels, Don Bogdanov, Tom Grennett, Dan Jurgens, Phil Jimenez, uh, Gene Ha, Talent Caldwell, Andy Owen, Nelson, Kevin Nowlin, Andy Lanning, Jason Gordier. Uh, this has not been reprinted anywhere, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, in this storyline, Superman, uh, prior to this, had teamed up with a Superman robot from the future that was uh, the Superman of tomorrow. And he was shown uh, how, uh, how things were going to go horribly awry in the future. But uh, the key part of the storyline here is it starts off with uh, a Silver Age retelling of the story uh, with the classic Silver Age Jor-El uh, putting Cal in a rocket uh, that comes to Earth. And the whole storyline is done with kind of the broad 
dot patterns that nowadays are used to invoke uh, old storylines. Uh, then the very next page retells the story again, but this time with uh, the uh, the Man of Steel origin, with the uh, uh, Jor-El in the green robe with the black um, tights underneath, the sterile Krypton, Superman is in a birthing chamber, uh, he's uh, found in the birthing matrix. And then the next page retells the origin yet again, uh, this time uh, it's the origin from Birthright. Uh, so all three of these origins uh, are, are told in succession, and Superman realizes that he's kind of in the time stream along with the Superman of the future, and the time uh, is kind of in flux uh, because of some of the manipulations from some uh, people from the future. So we go through the whole storyline. It's actually kind of convoluted, and to be honest, not really all that good. Uh, it, it, this was kind of a, a weaker period in Superman's history. Uh, and even though this is a nice ending for, uh, or a nice anniversary issue, the 200th issue of, uh, of Superman, uh, this is actually the rebooted Superman story or, or series, uh, that started in 1986, but we get some rather forgettable stuff with, uh, with Brainiac and with this, a uh, characters called the future Smiths who are trying to manipulate time. Uh, eventually Superman has to kind of defeat them and set time right and get things uh, back to the way they're supposed to be. Uh, and when he does this, he basically locks in the uh, the version of the origin that appeared in Birthright as, as now the new uh, actual continuity. And uh, this basically was just a way to uh, embed birthright into uh, the continuity uh, in a way that uh, would then allow them to play with some of the changes to Krypton uh, going forward into a lot of different uh, series. Uh, after this, uh, you would get things like the return of, uh, of Kara Zor-El as Supergirl. Um, you would get the uh, return of, uh, of General Zod, uh, the, the version of Krypton that appears here actually goes on to uh, appear in uh, Jim Lee and Brian Azzarello's For Tomorrow storyline. Uh, all of these things kind of uh, come out of Birthright, and then uh, here Superman 200 where Birthright is made the official origin as we get kind of a new modern take on, on Superman. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Superman's origin from All-Star Superman number one uh, from 2006, from January 2006. It's by uh, Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely, and Jamie Grant. Uh, this has been reprinted in uh, All-Star Superman volume one in trade paperback and hardcover, as well as uh, Absolute All-Star Superman and uh, just the full All-Star Superman trade paperback. Uh, it was also reprinted as a free comic book day comic and uh more recently it's being uh done as a giveaway for a variety of of retailers as part of superman day to tie in with the man of steel movie uh and uh the story of all-star superman is actually much more like uh, the dark knight it is it is the last superman story uh, a story that kind of puts an end or that, that shows his last adventure basically um but uh it starts off with superman's origin but it's only one page long, uh, hearkening back to Action Comics number one, four panels, 
uh, eight words. Each panel has two words. It shows a shot of Krypton that says Doomed Planet, a shot of Jor-El and Lara, and the text Desperate Scientists, uh, the spaceship traveling through space uh, with the words Last Hope, and then the final shot is a POV shot looking up at the Kents as they hold on to the red blanket saying Kindly Couple. Uh, and all of that pretty much just summed up the origin of Superman. Uh, a lot of people consider this to be the greatest of Superman's origins, uh, but it really only works because of all these other origins in the past. It, it sort, of, sort of sums things up um, and doesn't subscribe to any particular Superman origin. It, the, the whole story is kind of this weird out-of-continuity blend of uh, Silver Age elements and Modern Age elements. It's got uh, the Kryptonian bottle city of Kandor, uh, it's got a lot of, of some of Grant Morrison's favorite pre-crisis Superman stuff. It's got to the, for the Fortress of Solitude, and now the giant key has become a, a small key made out of uh, super dense matter. Uh, Morrison has said that basically it is uh, as if the crisis didn't happen and the uh, the Golden Age, Bronze Age Superman had sort of continued and evolved uh, in much the same way that the modern one did. So you have things like Doomsday. And the entire thing is really a blend of a variety of different continuities. And this would become kind of important because this stamp would not only pop up on Superman again, but would in many ways uh, redefine uh, the changing DC universe that uh, we would get over the next few years. Uh, a lot of this would uh, happen due to another a big event miniseries called Infinite Crisis, which was a sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, which brought back the Golden Age Superman and the Gold and the uh, uh, Earth One or Earth Prime Superboy, uh, and and resulted in in yet another kind of this time a smaller, more soft reboot uh, of of the character and of uh, the entire DC universe. Uh, and much like the original Crisis, um, we would get. Sort of a strange uh, goodbye to uh, to what had come before. Uh, in Superman 226 of April 2006, uh, Joe Kelly, Jeff Loeb, uh, Howard Chaikin, Tim Sale, Ed Bennis, Renato Guedes, and Jerry Ordway would uh, come together and tell a story about a battle between the modern age Superman and the golden age Superman. As they fight it out, they start to kind of live each other's lives and you get a weird origin that uh, is very much the classic golden age origin as if the uh, modern age Superman had lived it and uh, how differently things would be. Uh, you would get after that in Action Comics number 836, Joe Kelly, Dan Jurgens, Ian Churchill, Lee Bermejo and Ed Bennis uh, would again kind of pull the trick where there are three different origins of Superman uh, as uh, as Superman as the Supermans are fighting it out. Uh, once again, the time stream is sort of messing up around them, and uh, Superman, uh, the Golden Age Superman, starts living the life of the uh, modern Superman, including saving the space plane. Uh, he fights Doomsday. He has that strange first meeting with Batman, uh, but he does things a little bit differently, and uh, and because of that, uh, he he actually winds up kind of being almost villainous and uh and having to uh have the justice league step in and uh and and take care of him um very very strange story uh the origin is is just a way to kind of 
separate and differentiate the two characters. It's not really uh, kind of the focus, but it is it is a much like Secret Origin was a goodbye to the Golden Age Superman. Uh, here we get yet another goodbye to the Golden Age Superman, but we also get a goodbye to the Modern Age Superman because out of Infinite Crisis, we would get yet another reboot and yet another complete retelling of the origin. This time, it would be handled by uh, Jeff Johns. Uh, Jeff Johns was kind of the new, I guess, creative head of DC by this point. Uh, he is kind of chief creative officer now, but he was really kind of guiding the direction that, uh, that a lot of the stories were going as kind of their key writer on their big events. He had basically rebooted Green Lantern. Uh, without really kind of restarting things. Uh, and But shortly after that, he had done a Green Lantern origin miniseries called uh, Green Lantern Secret Origin. So uh, after Infinite Crisis, uh, Jeff Johns had taken over the regular uh, action comics book along with uh, Richard Donner, who he had worked with uh, when he uh, first uh, started out uh, in, in Hollywood. Uh, and they introduced a lot of concepts into the book uh, that were really from the Donner films. We get... A, a white-haired Jor-El, although this one has a beard, uh, dressed in, in robes. We get uh, the, the Fortress of Solitude, which up until this point had really, in the comics, always been, at various times, uh, maybe a, a, a mountain or a mountain in the Arctic. Uh, for a brief while, it was in the Amazon. Uh, it was a tesseract in the South Pole. Uh, but it had never been the crystalline structure that it was from the movies. Uh, but now we have a... a crystal-based Krypton technology uh, that, that Jeff Johnson sort of introduced uh, in his uh, version, along with a, a, a caste system on Krypton, or, or really kind of like, or they're actually guilds, where uh, they, they dress in, uh, in different fashions, and each of those fashions was kind of a different nod to, uh, to uh, previous Superman origins. So you had a, the burn Krypton uh, was one guild, the classic Silver Age Krypton was another guild. The ones more like the movies or military ones are a different guild. So really they kind of blended a variety of different uh, Superman uh, elements over the years into one kind of fused Krypton, uh, which, which was really kind of not just picking and choosing, but really blending its entire history uh, into one kind of cohesive narrative. Right in the middle of, of this run, uh, they leave the book uh, Jeff Johns and, and uh, the artist Gary Frank, to do a Superman secret origin miniseries. It was going to tell us uh, the new origin, the new backstory, uh, and it would follow sort of the same thing of, of blending a lot of the different mythologies. Uh, we, so we have Superman secret origin by uh, Jeff Johns, 
uh, and Gary Frank and John Sibal. Uh, this was uh, originally published or cover date November 2009 to October 2010. Six issue miniseries, but there were quite a few delays. This has been reprinted in the Secret Origins hardcover. Uh, I'm sure there will be a paperback, uh, maybe even an absolute. Uh, as it is, this hardcover is oversized. Um, so it starts off actually not on Krypton. This is one of the first ones that starts off uh, on Earth uh, in Smallville. In, in many ways, this is similar to what what was done in the Smallville TV show. It's basically Clark growing up, learning about his, his powers kind of the hard way, uh, learning that he has to hide. Um, you see his heat vision kick in. And it's really the story of, of the young Clark kind of learning to deal with being different, uh, learning uh, what his origins are, uh, and learning kind of uh, why he is who he is. Uh, basically, this is uh, what we got out of Smallville, a little bit in Superman in the movie, uh, but it's really the Superboy series. All that stuff kind of ties in here. Um, it is a very Brando-esque looking Jor-El, uh, except with a beard. Um, we get him kind of as a vision that's projected from the ship when, when Clark sees the ship. Uh, so we get, we get that, we get the holographic projections. We get all the stuff with Pa Kent, uh, Luther being in Smallville, uh, finding uh, kryptonite. Uh, there's a lot of, of nods to other things throughout, uh, a lot of the Superman lore. And we really get to see the beginning of that Clark and Lex relationship, uh, they actually kind of bring Superboy back into the continuity uh, by having him go into the future with the Legion of Superheroes. And these are very much kind of the classic pre-crisis Legion, which uh, which Jeff Johns had, had basically brought back um, with uh, after the, the Infinite Crisis reboot. Uh, so he was Superboy in the future. He just never called himself that in the present. Kind of a nice way to get around the, the Superboy issue. Um, but we have him in the future with the Legion. We see uh, we see him getting crypto or finding crypto. So now we know crypto's back in continuity in, in his original form. Uh, we see him getting his job at the uh, Daily Planet Metropolis. At this time, uh, one of the new twists is the Daily Planet's kind of a newspaper that's fallen on hard times, that it's actually kind of a joke. And that's why uh, Clark could so easily get a job there. Um, Lex Luthor is basically running Metropolis. Uh, providing uh, w or answering wishes uh, for various people throughout Metropolis, uh, we get Superman, you know, showing himself, showing himself by saving uh, Lois by catching a helicopter. You know, lots of great nods to the movies, uh, but we still have Businessman Lex. It's really a blend of all these different uh, things. We have sort of the Lex Luthor blaming Superman or hating Superman because he's an alien. We have the introduction of Metallo. Uh, we have the introduction of the parasite. Uh, really, all of these great things. Um, one of the the most interesting things is that uh, Gary Frank draws Clark and Superman to look pretty much exactly like Christopher Reeve, uh, but it's a very classic looking Superman. Um, so you know, in many ways, they're kind of bringing elements of the movie continuity into the comic. Although this would have been you know, quite a, quite a ways after the movie. There's also some stuff in here, uh, things like setting up General Lane, uh, setting up some of the, the backstory that would actually play out in, in other areas of uh, Jeff John's run. Uh, it would lead into the uh, War of the Supermen, 
where the body bottle city of Candor is released and there's a new Krypton and, uh, that eventually all goes horribly wrong. Uh, so in many ways it served both to kind of, uh, showcase this new unified DC universe where all the mythology sort of fits together, a very silver agey kind of feel, but with a more complex, uh, modern narrative style. And now while Secret Origin was the new uh, official canon origin uh, for Superman, um, if you'll notice, uh, almost everything that I talked about uh, this evening is avail available in some sort of a hardcover trade paperback, uh, even though almost all of the, or actually just almost everything, uh, has been was originally published uh, as individual uh, periodical comic books. Uh, and uh, this is because of the rise of the trade paperback and the presence of comic books in, in bookstores, uh, how much it has grown uh, in, in recent decades. Um, and because of this, uh, the book uh, bookstores were kind of interested in getting some new original material uh, that, that they could sell uh, other than just collected versions of comic stuff that would be available both in comic bookstores and in, uh, in regular bookstores, but in a hardcover uh, format. Uh, all new material. So uh, DC decided to uh, launch this initiative with a book called Superman Earth One. Uh, and this is by J. Michael Straczynski uh, with uh, Sean Davis and Sandra Hope. Uh, it was uh, published in October of 2010. Um, and it's available in a hardcover form uh, and, uh, and also a, a recently released trade paperback. Uh, this is a, a different take on Superman. This was supposed to be a, a take that's targeted very much at the non-comic book audience, at people who might be aware of Superman, aware of graphic novels, um, and uh, but definitely with a different kind of vibe. It was originally criticized for being a, an emo take or a Twilight take on Superman. Uh, the cover image has Superman with a hoodie uh, glaring down, just sort of barely opening up his shirt. Uh, so there was a lot of concern that this was going to be a little too much. Uh, and, and many people uh, were, were unhappy with it. But uh, uh, regardless, it is, a, it is a pretty solid Superman origin, and it does things uh, a little bit differently. It presents the character uh, in, a, in a fairly different way. Um, it's a nice hardcover book. When it first came out, uh, it sold out immediately, uh, even on, on like uh, stores like Amazon. So the demand was pretty high. Um, and you know, it basically, it, it tells the story in a slightly different way. We get Clark heading to Metropolis for the first time. Uh, and he is not heading there to be a journalist. He doesn't know, doesn't know what he's going to be. Uh, he tries out a variety of different things. Um, all of which he excels at, 
uh, including sports and science and business, uh, because he is uh, he is super powered. And at this point, he has not really figured out what he's going to do. Uh, we learned that, that Jonathan Kent has died and that he uh, he wanted him to uh, become a hero and do something good with his powers. And uh, he even uh, his mom even made him a costume, but he hasn't made that decision as to what he wants to do. Uh, one of the things is being a reporter, and he goes to the Daily Planet, uh, he, and he meets Lois and Jimmy and Perry, uh, and uh, but uh, he he doesn't really get the job, or he he still doesn't quite know what he wants to do. So uh, that's where some of the, the sort of mopey maudlin stuff uh, comes in, but it's really not presented in, in in any way different than than any kind of typical teenage sort of coming of age story. Uh, we get uh, a, a somewhat different Krypton, and now the ship that he, the crashes is, is quite huge, uh, and is recovered by the military. Uh, although the Kents actually uh, uh, make off with the baby uh, and a piece of the ship, so there's some changes to the origin, but uh, overall, it's it's pretty much intact. Uh, the ship is in military custody, uh, and uh, they it is so advanced they are unable to decipher it, and and things like that. Uh, Clark periodically winds up using his powers to help people. Um, and, uh, he does still have the, uh, the, the, uh, fragment of the ship, which, uh, actually causes a fire in his apartment when it, it somehow powers up because, uh, because something happens with the ship. And, uh, what's happening is the ship is basically reacting to a, an invasion fleet that is, uh, surrounded earth and they're looking for, uh, a, the lone survivor of Krypton who's been harbored on this planet. Uh, this actually does sound very similar to what's going to, uh, what apparently is the plot of the man of steel, uh, movie. So I wonder how much they, uh, they got from this, but yeah, they, apparently the, this race actually, uh, destroyed Krypton. They were at war with Krypton and, uh, they were a, a competing world with Krypton uh, so yeah, now, now all of a sudden there's a different, there's a different wrinkle and, and there's someone who is actually responsible for the destruction of, of the, the planet. And so Superman kind of has that uh, going on too. And it's someone who's very much, uh, as powerful as Superman. So he, uh, he adopts the, the guys, uh, to say, to make himself known and to save all these people. Uh, he sees the heroics of, of Jimmy and Lois as they're trying to help and, uh, Basically, he is inspired by the people around him to uh, take up the mantle of Superman. Uh, it's a, a different looking Superman. He's a younger, he's a leaner Superman. He's not not kind of uh, big and buff, uh, but a little bit more of a, just a traditional, uh, still kind of built athletic uh, look to him. But it's definitely a younger, uh, smaller, different looking Superman. But uh Overall, it actually uh, still holds up pretty well, and the, and the basic core ideas of Superman are there, even if it's kind of uh, hidden away or we actually see him grow into those ideas rather than uh, than sort of have them all along. So uh, it, it's a, a very interesting coming-of-age story, and this is the, the first installment. Uh, the second installment uh, has come out, but it doesn't really qualify as an origin series. It's not tied into the regular uh, comics in any way or any movies or television series. Uh, it, it stands on its own, and, but it's a very good introduction to the character.
just as uh, the growth of the trade paperback and book market uh, really made uh, Superman Earth One possible, the growth of digital comics would actually have uh, yet another uh, impact on Superman and his origins. In 2011, uh, DC Comics uh, decided that they were going to launch an initiative to coincide with their comic books being released uh, day and date with the print publications. Uh, to make this something really special, they decided they wanted a major event in the books themselves that would uh, coordinate or would tie in with this uh, new digital initiative. So even though they had uh, recently done kind of a soft reboot at the end of Infinite Crisis, they decided to do something very drastic, something even bigger than the reboot after the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. And after a miniseries called Flashpoint, all of DC's comics were rebooted, reset back to issue number one, uh, with new starts for almost all the characters. Uh, Batman and Green Lantern and a few others uh, remained Somewhat unchanged, but they'd been in sort of uh, re-bit, rewritten and rebooted a little bit uh, just prior to that. But uh, everybody's backstory was changed. Uh, characters from the Wildstorm universe were merged in with the regular DC universe. Earth 2 was completely rebooted. Everyone got new costumes, uh, new redesigns, new backstories in some cases, uh, extremely uh, new uh, interpretations in other cases. Um, and Superman... Uh, as he had uh, a few other times before, got uh, got a brand new start. And this start uh, kind of goes back to the beginning with the all-new Action Comics number one. Uh, this is uh, Grant Morrison, uh, is who uh, had done All-Star Superman, is given the reins of the book and the task of, of redefining Superman uh, for a, a new generation, uh, for a, a brand new audience. So we get Action Comics number one uh, on November of 2011. Uh, cover dated November 2011 and actually came out in September. Uh, the the first eight issues uh, would basically uh, comprise the character's new origin, uh, which went to uh, June of 2012. Uh, this has been reprinted in the Superman Men of Steel hardcover and trade paperback. Um, Grant Morrison is the writer with... Rags Morales, Andy Kubert, Brant Anderson, Gene Ha, Brad Walker, Rick Bryant, Jesse Dalperdang, John Dell, Sean Parsons, Bob McLeod, and Chris Cross as the artists. Uh, they they were backup features in these in these uh, comics because it was a a larger and more expensive book. Uh, and so uh, much like the original action comics, this jumps right in uh, right in the middle of the action. Uh, Superman has been active. For a short while, uh, a couple of months maybe, uh, he doesn't have his full costume. He has a red cape, and he wears a, a blue T-shirt with the S symbol and jeans and work boots. Uh, very much a, a throwback to Superman's simpler origins. The Superman doesn't fly. He is a champion of the oppressed. He's working for the downtrodden of Metropolis outside the law. He's a vigilante. Uh, and he's he's getting a lot of, of notoriety. I mean, th this was happening uh, the same time as uh, like the Occupy protests 
and the economic troubles in the United States that uh, were making people think it was uh, another depression was coming. Uh, depression not unlike the one that Superman uh, was created in and uh, and ultimately was a symbol of hope for. Uh, so this was a, a vigilante Superman running around Metropolis. Uh, we get uh, Early on, we get a Lex Luthor. We don't really know Lex's history. Uh, he seems to be at least a little bit of businessman Lex and a little bit of uh, mad scientist Lex. Uh, but he's uh, he's working with General Lane because they they don't trust Superman. That's become a modern uh, uh, an important part of the modern origins has been this public distrust of Superman. Whereas in, in all of the older ones, it, it, they pretty much trusted Superman right away because he helped them. Uh, this Superman is still learning his power, still learning uh, his limits, and uh, definitely working outside the law. Uh, Clark isn't working at the Daily Planet at this point. He's working at uh, the Daily Star for George Taylor, much like uh, he did originally in the Golden Age. Perry White actually uh, popped up in the radio show first. Uh, he's a friend of Jimmy's. He barely knows Lois. Uh, and he's uh, basically just trying to do good across Metropolis. I mean, they have him uh, running faster than a speeding bullet. They have him stopping a locomotive train, leaping tall buildings, all that good stuff. Uh, but he does eventually get captured and uh, examined by Lex Luthor and the military, they uh, apparently also have his ship, uh, the ship that he w- that he came to Earth in, and this ship uh, is looks a lot like the uh, original ship from the Silver Age and Golden Age. Uh, it's a blue ship with red fins, but it's it, may, it looks a little bit more like a like a a basket, a little bit more like an ark, kind of alluding to uh, Superman's. Uh, similarities with uh, Moses in its origin, but it also has a protective crystal outer shell. Uh, Superman escapes uh, with his cape. It looks like the cape uh, is is extraterrestrial in origin as well. Uh, but the government's building a metallo, and uh, we see that they're they're all stepping up. In this particular rebooted continuity, there have never been any superheroes before, so Superman is the first one to show up. Uh, we get a flashback, a dream sequence uh, on Krypton. And now we have a very, very strange Krypton, a very uh, advanced, high-tech, but uh, but very kind of strange-looking, uh, modern, almost uh, European, maybe Mobius, very detailed look uh, on Krypton. And uh, we get a, a quick uh, flash of the Kandor story, where, where Kandor is, a, is mysteriously abducted. Uh, Clark uh, basically is uh, investigating... Uh, a story for the uh, for the Daily Star about some of the problems uh, in Metropolis. Uh, all of a sudden, the uh, electronics start going haywire. It looks like Luther has been in, in touch with an extraterrestrial intelligence that eventually turns out to be Brainiac. Uh, Superman uh, has a plan to get to Brainiac uh, in his spaceship out in space. And uh, it, it requires him uh, basically learning to fly for the first time. Uh, because of the the timing problems on this book, that in in the actual original publication, uh, right in the middle of the story, there was an interlude where they they kind of talked a little bit about Superman's origin some more, and then they cut away. But uh, in the collected editions, uh, the Superman story continues. The Superman finds his way up to Brainiac's ship, a uh, very different looking Brainiac. Uh, Brainiac has got artifacts from dead worlds, including Krypton. He's got a, a Kryptonian battle suit that uh, Superman recognizes and uh, takes from its case and, and he puts it on and it, it actually morphs into 
uh, his red and blue costume, uh, taking, recognizing who he is, taking on uh, the family crest of the S. And, uh, and we actually get, you know, the fully formed Superman uh, by the end. Uh, we're introduced to Lex and Metallo. Uh, we are introduced to Lois, Perry, Jimmy, uh, Professor Hamilton, General Lane, all the key characters that are going to be important in Superman's mythos, all of them introduced into this initial storyline. Uh, Brainiac as well. Uh, the Brainiac ship basically becomes his fortress of solitude. Uh, we also get Steel, strangely enough. Uh, you know, a character that, that had not played as major a part in the Superman mythology for quite some time actually steps up and now is is tied in to the origin story. Uh, and, and when we do eventually cut away, we get more information on Krypton. Uh, and it's it's very strange here. We've got a, a Jor-El wearing a headband clad in green, just like he had uh, back in the Golden and Silver Age. He's got a ringed planet on his chest. Uh, but uh, he, he first thinks about escaping into the Phantom Zone with his family, uh, but realizes that the Phantom Zone villains that were in there, uh, including uh, a bearded General Zod, would uh would cause havoc they actually almost escape and then crypto uh attacks them and, and gets sucked into the phantom zone where he would eventually return so uh and it's a very different crypto too it's actually a much tougher meaner looking dog uh Jarrell realizes he's got the prototype and uh much like he's had so many times before launches it into space and planet explodes he's found by the kents uh, and uh, it's really kind of back to a classic origin. Now, this one does adopt the idea that the U.S. government gets the ship uh, and the Kents just get the child, uh, which uh, is, has been you know kind of a new twist on the origin. Uh, the ship has an artificial intelligence and ultimately uh, gives him a great connection to Krypton. Uh, it speaks Kryptonian to him. There's also an odd Legion of Superheroes uh, story in here as well where Superman and the Legion have to travel back from the future to prevent the ship from being destroyed before it has a chance to really help Superman uh, find out who he is. Uh, and then there's a lot of backup features that show Jonathan and Martha Kent uh, carrying away the, uh, or trying to sneak away when uh, the government finds the ship and realizes that, uh, that there's something else going on in that area. Uh, it's a very interesting take on, on Superman. Again, it goes very much back to the roots. Superman is a champion of the oppressed, a very uh, New Deal Democrat Superman, a very common man Superman. Uh, it also updates the uh, the super costume to uh, to reflect the changes. Superman's uh, red trunks are gone. The suit is now kind of armored with a, a high neck and, and shiny and, and, and plates and lots of detail on it. Uh, still the same basic look and pattern and color scheme just they got rid of the red uh, underwear uh, and uh, tweaked a few things in the origin it's still pretty new we don't know a lot about uh, the character we still don't know much about Lex if he knew Lex when he was young uh, we don't know uh, his backstory uh, at, at this point uh, I think they're up to their second year second full year of stories Grant Morrison left the book uh, after telling a few more stories and included things like Doomsday and, and Mitzelplik. But uh, all in all, we've got yet another origin for a for Superman, uh, and we're going to have another one with uh, the Man of Steel. And that's pretty much where the uh, origins of Superman stand. Uh, this this uh, was in 2011 and 2012. Uh, I think they're, they're currently up to their second full year. 
how long this will remain Superman's origin. Uh, who knows? They seem to be happening uh, f- far more frequently. And uh, certainly we're going to be getting uh, yet another origin with the Man of Steel. And if the Man of Steel launches a new animated series, we'll probably get a new origin there. Uh, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting looking at these. All of them seem to keep the same basic ideas. Uh, launched from Krypton, arrives on Earth, found by someone. He demonstrates his powers and uh, decides to use them for good. Uh, you look back originally, it was the origin was just an excuse to uh, for him to have powers to do these wonderful things. But it didn't take long for the creators of, of the Superman stories to realize that the origin story uh, was kind of an interesting story in and of itself. And you saw throughout the Golden Age how it evolved and grew uh, into a full, complete story that, that told you a lot about uh, who this person is. Then in the Silver Age... Uh, the origin story becomes kind of a jumping off point for an entire universe of, of characters and ideas. Uh, in many ways, the entire Silver Age uh, is an expansion of Superman's uh, origin story, uh, adding Candor uh, and Supergirl and uh, Crypto and you know, Argo City and all of these other elements that would flesh out uh, what was otherwise a fairly simple story becomes a whole universe of stories that uh, in the Bronze Age is just sort of retold and consolidated and and tweaked for uh, for whatever audience uh, that uh, that was coming to it for the first time. But a- after it had grown so big and so vast, they had to kind of wipe it clean and uh, and and start from scratch. But even though they completely rewrote. Krypton, um, so much of it just kept seeping back in. I mean, that's the strength of that original origin story. Uh, no matter how much you change it, it always seems to keep coming back to the same basic framework and even the same basic look in many ways. And it's grown and changed over time. Certainly Superman's taken on a more messianic quality in, in some of the origins. Uh, certainly the Krypton has changed its look, but it's also changed its it's kind of culture in, in a wide variety of ways, uh, be kind of shifting and, and modeling itself to whatever kind of advanced vision of the future is uh, prevalent in science fiction at the time. And, uh, and with each new telling, we get different aspects of the character. Certainly, uh, a, as we learn more about Clark, uh, Clark Kent became more of, of, a, of a part of the storyline and more of a real character, not just a bumbling illusion that he puts on to fool people. You really see when, uh, when they start emphasizing how important, uh, his time in Smallville is to his origin. Uh, you, you really start to get a lot more of the reason that Superman is who he is, is, is because of that upbringing. So really it's that two pieces, uh, Krypton giving him the power, uh, uh Kansas kind of giving him the moral authority and the beginnings in Metropolis, just sort of putting the cast together that all go in to make a great Superman origin story. And it's a great story that gets told over and over again. And uh, each time, new generations discover Superman for the first time. Uh, and every time uh, it's told, it, it will be a little bit different. It'll add something to the mythology, uh, a change, a tweak, to bring Superman more in line with with the times, with, uh, with the people who are, are enjoying him. From from a simple one-page story in 1938, uh, Superman's origin has become something that is known around the world, uh, and and as as people are so fond of saying, everybody knows Superman's origin, and yet 
uh, here we are telling it again over and over again. I hope you've enjoyed this look at Superman's uh, origin through the years, how it's changed and evolved uh, for for different time periods. And I hope you've also enjoyed uh, all of the Superman content that we've given you uh, so far this year in anticipation of the new movie. Uh, so until next time, keep fighting the geek fight. Good night. Me. Mm-hmm.